0: now, I would encourage you to grab your Bible if you have it near you, or if you don't have a Bible with you, the, the passage that we're going to be looking at is printed in your bulletin, and you can always get this passage on your smartphone as well. There are Bible apps or you could always Google the passage to have it on your Bible. But either way, I would encourage you to have your Bible open, to have the passage open before you, because it will be helpful as we walk through it together. And to remember that we are looking at this letter written by the Apostle Paul, and we've talked about how in verse 3 to verse 14, he launches into praise, saying that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he walks through the, the source of that spiritual blessing, that we have been chosen by the Father, we have been redeemed by the Son, and then we have the Holy Spirit as the seal of In our hearts. And then last week, verse 15 to the end of the chapter, we began to look at prayer. Paul talks about his prayer for believers, and he then summarizes the content of that prayer as an encouragement to the believers. This is how I am praying for you. Now, today I'm going to read this whole section from verse 15 through verse 23 through the end of the chapter. But we're going to focus on verse 19 through verse 23. And you'll remember that Paul's praying for them to know power. And so we're going to focus on the power of God, this prayer for power. So, again, Ephesians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, Because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having The eyes of your hearts enlighten that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we need your spirit. We need the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we might know our hope, our inheritance, and then today, most of all, Lord, let us know the immeasurable riches, immeasurable greatness of your power toward us in Christ. And So we ask that you you would guide us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so I mentioned last week that Beginning in verse 18, Paul is praying for the Ephesians to know three realities. He, he prays that they would know, first, what is the hope to which he has called you? Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And if you were thinking about this in terms of modern technology, that what Paul is doing is then double clicking on the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then for the, the rest of the chapter, he expands that idea. So he's saying, I'm praying for you to know this power of God. And then for the rest of the chapter, he's unpacking the nature of this power. And look at how he describes it in verse 19. What is the immeasurable, it can't be measured, greatness of his power toward us who believe that he needs more words according to the working of his great might. Is there any doubt in the language how great the power actually is? He pours words into this concept. This is a really great power. But then we're forced to ask the question, Do we actually need that much power? I know that there are a lot of people who are into cars and understanding cars and they wish they had the newest, fanciest car. I'm not necessarily that that way. I'm fairly content with the cars that I have. But I was looking online at a, a Lamborghini, not to purchase it, it was for this illustration, And it said that that this Lamborghini could get from zero to 60 miles per hour in 2.8 seconds. And it had a max speed of 217 miles per hour. And you might say, that's great. I would love to have a car like that. But for me, I say, I don't need that much power. I have no need ever to get from zero to 60 miles an hour in two seconds. I never have to drive 217 miles per hour. So it would be completely pointless. If somebody tried to give me that car, I would sell it and then use the money for something else. I don't need that much power. But then you say, what about the power that is described in our text? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do we need that much power? And I think that often we say others need that much power. Maybe not me. Maybe somebody else does. I had the opportunity to go to Kensington with Jonathan this week and Chris Batten, who's uh, talked about his ministry in the city here at Hope. And as a side note, I was struck by how Incredible it is that it's Christians on the ground caring for people in Kensington. There are a few other ministries that provide care. Um, they're giving out water bottles and bananas. There are a few other ministries, but it's only Christians there providing care. And I, I was thinking, where are the yoga people? Where are the other religions? That it, it's, it, I'm, I'm impressed, and, and, and it, it's humbling to see how God is working through his people. But that's a side note. When, when we think about a place like Kensington, we say, well, yes, they need the immeasurable greatness of God's power. They're, they're, they're facing addiction. They're facing homelessness. They need power to get out of the, their situation. They are completely powerless in and of themselves. And we, and we see that when we go into a place like Kensington in Philadelphia. But then we think about ourselves, And we say, I don't need the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. I just need a little extra power. And so we say, well, maybe I could use a little bit more willpower. Just a little bit more so I can wake up earlier to get more done in the morning. Or we say, maybe I just need a little bit more mental power. I could move my grade from... An A minus to an A if I just had a little more mental power. Or we say, I need social power. If I, if I only had more social power, I could advance in my career or get a better job or get a better education. Or maybe I need just a little bit more political power to advance my ideas. That we look for very limited power. And we say, that would be enough. That would make all the difference in the world. But in reality, according to the Bible, we desperately need the immeasurable riches, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And we recognize this need in the face of two great enemies. The enemy of death and then the enemy of spiritual evil. So let's start with that first enemy. We need the immeasurable greatness of God's power over death, over death. And we see this power over death in Christ. So look again at verse 19. Paul prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Verse 20, his power that... God he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead that this is resurrection power over death that he is praying for them to know And look at that word dead that, that he was raised from the dead. In the original language it's it's literally the dead ones that, that he was, He was raised up from among the dead ones, that that Jesus was alive, he was crucified, he was buried in the tomb, he he entered into death. Of course, death is the great enemy of humanity, the enemy of death. Death entered into the world as a result of sin, that God told Adam and Eve on the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the midst of the garden, you will surely die. And they ate of that tree. First they died spiritually. Then they began to decay and to die physically. And then ultimately they did die physical. Physical death as a result of sin. It says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. So death is in the world, and we say, can we find a power over death in the world? And we get this illusion of power over death from the outside world, because through modern science, we have increased knowledge. We can better predict death. We can better explain death when it happens, and then in various ways, we can better delay the reality of death. We're thankful for antibiotics, for chemotherapy, for all the ways that death can be temporarily averted in the world. But then sometimes we start to think maybe we have power over death. We know in all that the world can offer, the world cannot offer a get out of death free card that the world cannot rescue you from death. Science cannot rescue you from death. Your mind cannot rescue you from the reality of death. The smartest professor at MIT, bringing to bear all the power of his mind, cannot overcome the reality of death. And it is the great enemy that each one of us will face unless Jesus comes back. First, So we face this great enemy, death. And then when we consider that, as we look at our text, we see how incredible the power of God is that was displayed in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That Jesus on the cross, dealt decisively with the root cause of death itself, that that he dealt with sin. He, He bore the wrath of God against sin. He died bearing the wages of sin himself, which is death. That's why Jesus had to die. If the wages of sin was not death, he wouldn't have needed to die, but he died in our place. But then it was impossible for him to stay dead, because he was the sinless one. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That when Jesus rises from the dead in glory, that it's a statement, death has been defeated. That the, the fangs of death have been pulled out. All the strength of death has been sapped away. It's been buried in the tomb. That yes, in a sense, we still face the reality of death. Here in the world, there is still death. Most of us here will die unless Jesus comes back first, or all of us unless Jesus comes back first. But yet, Jesus has defeated death by dying, that he has defeated death decisively. And that's why back in in 1 Corinthians, if you turn back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is one of the great passages on resurrection and then look at verse 54 he says death is swallowed up in victory o death where is your victory o death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The power on offer to believers is resurrection power. That's the power that we can experience and that we can know. As you turn back to our text in Ephesians, you'll notice that Paul is praying for them to know this power as if they are already experiencing it. And it's true. According to the Bible, as we trust in Jesus, we experience the resurrection power of Jesus. Because by nature, we are spiritually dead. That's what we're going to talk about next week in Ephesians chapter 2. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Unable to to do anything spiritually. But God makes us alive alive. And so when we're brought from death to life spiritually, when we're born again, when we're regenerated, that this is the resurrection power of Jesus brought to bear in the believer invisibly and spiritually. That if you are a believer here today in the room, you have been raised from the dead already. That you have been raised up spiritually in the Lord. You have been made alive in Christ. You are already a partaker of resurrection power today. But that's just the, the first installment of resurrection power because the promise in Scripture is ultimately bodily resurrection, that the, the resurrection that we have already experienced spiritually in Christ will come physically and bodily in Christ on the judgment day when we're given new resurrection bodies, like Christ's resurrection bodies, and that we are then presented before God, body and soul united together again, like we are now, but different in glory, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that that is the ultimate promise of resurrection power that is already ours in Christ. So you say, well, does that matter? does it matter that I have already experienced this resurrection power? It does matter. Because though the, the world can be kept in the fear of death as the great controlling factor, we do not have to be afraid of death. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry when it will come, how it will come. We know the resurrection power of Christ, We don't have to be afraid. It can give us confidence going through the world knowing the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Resurrection power in Christ. So that's the, the first great enemy. We need this resurrection power over death. But then second, we need the immeasurable greatness of God's power over the forces of evil. We need it over death, but we also need power over the forces of evil. And so look at your Bible at verse 19 again. Paul's praying that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so you see the, the reigning power of Jesus as King. And yes, according to his divine nature, he's always ruled as king. There's nothing new in the ascension. But yet, as the God-man, truly God and truly man, there was something new when Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then took the seat at the right hand of God and power. That now he's reigning, yes, as God, but also as the God-man. And you'll see that everything has been subdued under his power. There's nothing left outside of his power and authority. That he's seated in the heavenly places far above all rules and authorities, powers and dominions, every name. There's no name above the name of Jesus. No name higher. No name more powerful ever could be named Not only in this age, but in the time to come. Look back into the past. No name greater than the name of Christ. Look into the future. No name greater than the name of Christ. He has all power, all authority, all dominion. Remember I said that this is speaking to his power over the forces of evil. Because this was written at a time and a place where People had the temple of Artemis up the street. There was this fear of magic. There was this fear of evil in the spiritual realm. And we even read in Ephesians 6, if you you turn over a few pages in your Bible to verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, But against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, Paul is saying, You want to know your your true enemy, that the true enemy is not a material reality, it's not a nation state, that our true warfare is spiritual against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it's that reality that many places in the world recognize more honestly and truthfully than we do in the modern West. I'm always struck by friends who do mission work in regions of Africa or in Southeast Asia or in South America that quite often when they come into communities where the the gospel has not yet taken hold, people are not operating on a naturalistic worldview. They're not thinking that this world is all there is. They believe in an invisible spiritual reality. They believe in demons. They believe in forces of evil. And they're scared. They're terrified of the forces of darkness, the forces of evil. And they recognize how feeble any kind of religious ceremony or or religious guru is trying to face down the powers of evil. So when the gospel comes, they say, look, here's an authority and a power above all of these demons, above all of this power of evil. And I think in some ways they have the proper recognition of the reality of spiritual evil. You remember that Jesus, when he was talking to Peter at the Last Supper, he said, Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And you think about that, and what's implied is that if Peter, the great apostle, were to face Satan down, Peter would be helpless. He he said, Peter, you would be sifted like wheat, before the power of spiritual darkness and spiritual evil. Or Peter himself, writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says that Satan is like a roaring lion who wanders around seeking something to devour. That is the power of spiritual darkness. And it reminds me of the, the scene from The Lord of the Rings, whether you've read the book or seen the movies, where they are traveling through the mines of Moria in the Fellowship of the Ring, and they're hoping to, to silently pass through the mines. But then suddenly they, they encounter the, the bulrog of Morgoth. And the, especially in the movie, there's this scene where they stop and they hear the rumblings of this being coming down through the mine And Gandalf says, a bulrog, a demon of the ancient world. This foe is beyond any of you. And then he says, flee, get away, run away. This is beyond, we can't face this with any art of magic or sword. Nothing that we possess here can confront a foe like this. We are powerless, we need power. But then Jesus comes as the the righteous one, as the mighty one, over the powers of darkness. Again, in the Lord of the Rings, you remember how they, they get to the, to the bridge, passing over out of the mine. And then Gandalf stops in the middle of the bridge and says, you shall not pass. You can go no further here. Ret- return to the fiery chasm from whence you came. And that's what Jesus does for us as well, as he stands in power and glory with all things under his feet. Resurrection power. And so for us, we don't have to be afraid of evil. We don't have to be afraid of the powers of darkness. And the image reminds me of the, a playground where you're on the playground as a child and then a, a bully who's far taller and far, far stronger comes up and says, give me your lunch money or I'll beat you up, up. Uh, he probably wouldn't say it like that. So. Uh, <laughs> supply, however a bully would say it. Uh, but then you're about to hand over the lunch money, and then a bigger kid comes up and says, wait a second, he's with me. If you want to take his lunch money, you have to deal with me first. And then the bully backs down and leaves. And that's the picture that we have of Jesus reigning in authority over all powers of spiritual darkness. That if we were to try to face it down by our own strength and our own wisdom and our own power, we would be sifted like wheat. We would be completely powerless. We'd be destroyed. We couldn't do it. But then when we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus comes and says, he is with me, she is with me, and Satan is forced to flee away. So again, we, we don't have to be afraid. And often at this time of year when there's the, the celebration of Halloween coming, people ask, can Christians celebrate Halloween? I'm not going to get into that today fully. I mean, we'll, we'll dress up. We'll go ask for candy. This full disclosure of what we do with our family. And so there's, a, there's the innocent side of the celebration here in the fall. But then there is a celebration of darkness at this time of year. There is a celebration of the demonic. And sometimes, even as Christians, we can become fixated on the powers of evil and the powers of darkness. I've had believers come to me and say, could I be possessed by a demon? Could I be overcome by a demon? And the picture in Scripture is no, that we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We can certainly face temptation, but we don't have to be afraid of darkness. We don't have to be afraid of evil. We don't have to be afraid of, of demons. That we focus on, on Christ. Yes, we, we pray what we prayed in the Lord's Prayer earlier. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. But we don't have to be afraid. But then also, we don't have to be afraid of anything snatching us out of Christ's grip, out of his hands. It says in Romans 8 that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. If there was some authority, some power higher than Jesus, maybe that could pull us out of his loving embrace. But if we are in Christ, nothing in all creation, neither height nor depth nor anything can separate us from his love because all things are under his feet. All name, all names are subjected to the name of Jesus Christ. And so we've talked about power. Yes, we need the immeasurable greatness of the power. When we consider death, we consider the forces of evil. But then we are forced to ask the question, where can we find this power? We need the immeasurable greatness of his power. Where can we find it? And we said it's not found in anything in this world. The power is not found in man-made religion. It's not found in ceremonies that we make up. It's it's not found in academia. It's not found through human intelligence. It's not found through exercise. It's not found through mindfulness. It's not found through self-help books. We, can, we can't find the power that we need anywhere in this world through human strength, human wisdom. You say, where is this power found? And Paul tells us at the end of this chapter, so turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 22, saying uh, he put all things under his feet. Everything is under the feet of Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look at how incredible this is. He's saying all things are under the feet of Jesus. He's ruling as king of the universe. But then Jesus himself, the power is found in Jesus, but where do you find Jesus says that Jesus was given to the church. That Jesus, the Lord and King of the universe, is given by God as a gift to the church. And this isn't just talking about the invisible church. Theologians talk about the invisible church as all of those who truly believe in Jesus, who are truly united to Christ by faith. But theologians also talk about the the visible church. That's all who profess the true gospel along with their children. Um, it's the at times it's the, the wheat and the the weeds. At times there are the the true believers and then there are the wolves in sheep's clothing. But it's to the visible church, and I believe that's what Paul is talking about. That Christ, the Lord overall, has been given to. The church. You say, how? He's been given to us in, in the ministry of the Word, that the Word of God comes to us, a gift to the church, and Christ comes to us in his Word, through the reading of the Word, through the preaching of the Word. Christ has been given to us in the sacraments of the church, that, that, that who Jesus is comes to us through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, these gifts of God to the church. Christ is given to the church, and that's why it says that the church is his body, that he is the head, we are the body. It means I am not the head of the church. The pope is not the head of the church. No mere man is the head of the church, that the head of the church is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his body, and he says that the church is his body The fullness of Him who fills all in all. That's the church. Quiz somebody if you want at some point, say, according to the Bible, what is the fullness of Him who fills all in all? And the answer is it's the church, it's His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And it's not because we are special or because the church has some authority over the scriptures. That we are sinful people. The church has a long history of of failure, has a long history of sin as you study church history. But it's saying that God in the Old Testament put his holy presence in the temple, but that we together become a holy temple in the Lord. Look at the end of, of chapter two in Ephesians. He says, In him You are are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The the church is the temple of the Lord, where his Spirit dwells, where his presence is, that that Christ is uniquely present in his church. And so if you're looking for this power, this resurrection power that is found in Christ, for this ascension reigning power that is in Christ, we say the power is in Christ alone alone. But where do we find Christ? And we find him by God's providence through the ministry of the church in the lives of men, women, and children. It doesn't mean the church is what saves us. It doesn't save us. But yet the church is a gift. And that's why it's it's so distressing to see people thinking that they don't need the church as believers. Especially coming out of the COVID pandemic, more and more people have the mindset that I don't need the church. I can watch my favorite pastor on TV, and that's totally sufficient. I don't need Christian community. I can put myself outside of connection to the, to the church, and that's totally fine. But as you read the New Testament, there's no image of a believer cut off from the church in the Bible. When Jesus talks about dealing with conflict, he says, Take it to the church. He talks about the church in Matthew 18, having the power to to bind and to loose through church discipline. He, He says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The whole New Testament, for the most part, is written to churches, envisioning that believers are involved in the life of the church. And so the call for us is don't put yourself outside of the fellowship of the local church. Don't expose yourself outside of the, the church to the forces of death, to the forces of evil. Flee into the ark that the Lord has provided in the church. That Flee into the church because the church is, is, is nothing in and of itself. But in the church, we hear the word of God. We hear Christ. We see Christ in the scriptures. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We grow together as the body of Christ. And by God's grace, through prayer, and his providence, we come more and more to know, to revel in, to to glory in what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great mind. Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you all these things that we have talked about. Lord, we contemplate death and we see how small we are. We see how powerless we are. We see how all the might and technology and wisdom of the world cannot overcome that great enemy. And at the same time, we're powerless before the forces of spiritual evil, that we are powerless before darkness, that if we were to face it by our own strength, that it would be beyond us we thank you for Jesus standing in the gap, saying to Satan, to death, to the power of evil, you've come thus far, you shall go no further, that you shall not pass. And so, Father, we we pray that we can know the the resurrection power of Jesus, that, that you have driven death and evil back into the shadows, that you have sealed them up in the tomb, risen in victory. And so today, Lord, we pray for knowledge of your power, confidence in your power, that we wouldn't fear spiritual forces of evil, that we wouldn't fear death, that we wouldn't even fear our own hearts, that our name is not above the name of Christ. Uh, But, Lord, you are faithful. You are good. And so let us today take refuge in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your gift in the church. Lord, we undervalue the church. We neglect the church. We act as if we are autonomous silos of faith. But we know that Christ wasn't just given to us as individuals, but he was given to the church. The church is your body. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so let us love the church with all of its flaws with all of its sin, with all of its blind spots. And let us, in the church, find Christ in his word, in his ordinances that he's given us, because we know that the power is found in Jesus Christ alone. And we pray in his name. Amen.